Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. 4 to 6 with AMB is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know that Ohio State ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. You can also find great deals on Browns, Cavs, and Blue Jackets tickets. It doesn't get any easier than a two-tap checkout. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download Game Time and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. The culture is the culture. It's four to six A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. Uh, the plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to a special bonus episode of Four to Six with A and B. I'm here with Bill Landis. Uh, we are doing our... I would have noticed you never introduce yourself. You just always assume that people know who you are. I'm Ari Wasserman. Oh, good, because I wasn't Cause sure. <laughs> I don't think they do know. Um, and I just got done uh, eating lunch at Whole Foods, and I had a very healthy uh, lunch with the juice juice and a wellness shot, so I'm feeling pretty good. Nice, a little bee pollen. I don't know <laughs> if wellness shots are a big uh, scam, because I, I took a shot of cayenne pepper. I'm not sure what that's supposed to do, but I just wanted to feel healthy today. Makes your blood spicy. <laughs> yeah. Um and we're doing a special initiative. The entire athletic college football team is, and I think maybe the whole company, Decade in Review. Um, and we're here to give you our Decade in Review by reviewing our all-decade team for the Ohio State um, football team. And uh, Bill and I worked together to do this in the summertime. Um, now we're going to talk about some of the decisions that we made. And, you know, I think we mostly agreed, but at some turn did not. Yeah, we had – so to – I guess peel back the curtain on this a little bit. Uh, we jumped the gun a little bit. We meaning like us on the on the Cleveland side of things. We we did all decade teams in the summer, um, and now everyone else is catching up to us because we do it the right way. So this is uh, a little bit of rehash, maybe for anybody who heard it or read it, read about it in the summer back in July. But I think the most heated discussion we had about this is at quarterback, and we'll get to that in a second. But the other thing I think to to explain to people is like I've been covering the team since 2014. You've been covering the team longer than that, so there I had gaps in my knowledge of Ohio State that I had to lean on you on. So my name is on the thing that posted in July, but um, it was very much a collaborative effort because Thanks, Bill. there were four seasons of Ohio State football that I didn't cover in this decade. Again, this is 4 to 6 with A and B. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Stitcher, Apple, Spotify, YouTube. <laughs> not YouTube. Not YouTube. No, not YouTube. <laughs> Somebody asked us why the podcast is not on YouTube. Um, 
And I don't know the answer to that, but it's not there now. It's not on YouTube, and I don't know. It's probably not on SoundCloud, but if you have a Apple or Spotify you're covered, please go and rate, review, subscribe to the podcast, listen to it. We like doing it. We like when you listen. And if you're feeling extra froggy, sign up for The Athletic at theathletic.com slash 4-6. Get 40% off, and you get the entire world of sports. Um, now it's in Europe. Uh, but we're in Columbus, and we're going to talk about this team now. So do you want to start with quarterback? We'll start with quarterback. I don't remember if you and I um, really disagreed all that much on this. Um, I think we disagree on some of the other quarterbacks. But for the all-decade team, again, this is an all-decade team, which means the best players at each position for the last decade. Who do we take? 2010 until now. Uh, the quarterback is Dwayne Haskins. And, and the the conversation was more about like what the parameters should be. Because if it's which quarterback defined the decade, I don't think it's Haskins. I think it would either be JT Barrett or Braxton Miller. And it's mostly because both of those guys played longer than Haskins. Haskins only started at one year. But we came around to the idea that it's like if you were starting, if you're putting a team together and you had to go win a game tomorrow of all the players who played for Ohio State in the last decade, which quarterback would you pick? And that made it a little easier, I think, to pick Haskins because I think he is the most talented. I think that's clear. He's the most talented passer anyway of all the guys that have played in, in this past decade. Um but I do think there is an argument for JT Barrett if you wanted to make one. I don't expect you to make one, and, and I'm pretty well set on Haskins. But if there are people listening and think it should be JT, I think there is a lot of evidence to support your claim that JT should be the quarterback of the decade. I have uh, short-term and long-term memory loss, hence the wellness shots. Did we? Is that how we decided to do the entire list? To go win a game? Yeah. Just I just want to make sure that we set that precedent as we move forward. To go win a football game, uh, Dwayne Haskins, I guess, was the pick. But I don't know that I agree that he's even the most talented. I think the most naturally talented quarterback, and you could probably finish the sentence, is Braxton Miller. I think Braxton Miller was the best player. He's probably not the best player at his position. I think Chase Young and the Bosa brothers obviously deserve to be in that discussion. But I think from a wow standpoint, Braxton Miller was the most gifted player I've seen play at Ohio State in the last decade. He's the best athlete. Yeah. I don't think he's the best quarterback. And it's hard in college because like a definition of a quarterback in college I think is a little bit different than the definition of a good quarterback in the pros, although it's crossing over more and more. Like Dwayne Haskins is the best passer. It's not close. Braxton is the best athlete who's played. Uh, JT was probably like the toughest of all those guys and, and won the most because he played the most. And embodied the program. I mean, the, Yeah, he, like he embodied yeah. everything that Urban Meyer wanted in an Ohio State football player. Um he was not the most naturally talented player, and I, I think he would tell you that, and Urban would tell you that, but it's about more than that. But if we're just talking pure talent, pure passing talent, I think it's Haskins and it's not close. And the one hitch on this whole thing is that if you go back and you look at in the playoff era, when specifically talking about quarterbacks, there were only two that played on the biggest stage, right? JT, he played in against Clemson in 16, and they lost 31 to nothing. Mm-hmm. And then he was injured in the Michigan game before the 2014 ch- title run. And then Cardale was really the only quarterback. Cardale Jones is the only quarterback who ever won at the highest level in the last decade. Now, Braxton Miller had his chances in the 2013 uh, Big Ten championship game. They lost to Michigan State. He never played in the playoff. And Dwayne Haskins lost uh, at Purdue last year, and they didn't make the playoff. And the one regret that I do have uh, when doing these this discussion, at least a quarterback, when you talk about who would you pick the most to go win a football game, I just wish I could have seen more from some of these talented guys because the, the the quarterbacks they had here are it's incredible how many great ones they had in a decade. Braxton, JT, Cardell, Haskins, and even the end of Fryer qualified yeah. for all decade because it's anybody who played in one year during the decade. Yeah. So to me, 
the only one that we ever got to see do it and do it successfully is Cardale Jones, but he didn't play enough to qualify. And he played enough, I think, in 2015 to like not not diminish what he did in 14 because what he did in 14 was awesome, but I think it impacted your evaluation of him as a player. Yeah. Just as a pure player. The entire 2015 season was so dysfunctional, it's kind of hard to really come away with a gauge on it. Yeah. And sometimes gauge. to come away with a 12 gauge on it. Um, and sometimes I wonder if JT had moved on or there was only one of them if that season would have gone differently, but that's a whole different podcast. So next position, Bill? Running back, which was probably well, not the well. There's a couple that are really easy. This is one of them. Zeke Elliott, like Zeke Elliott. Yeah, I mean I the guy rushed for what almost 800 yards in three games in a postseason run that turned into a national championship. He's now we're not yeah. supposed to use what we know now in this discussion, but clearly was good enough to become the best running back maybe in the NFL, and you know was super talented the entire time. I don't even know how long of a discussion this could possibly be. You yeah, know, I, I, I do think that he. Um, at a certain point in time, ran through holes that were pretty big, mm-hmm. and I, you know, that can't be held against a running back. I mean, if you look at the stats, I can't, I don't think that you could find Bill a better three-game stretch from a running back in Ohio State history. Yeah, but he was also aided by the fact that Ohio State literally dominated those opponents up front, and maybe more Oregon and Wisconsin than Alabama in the semifinals. But still, I mean, eighty-five yards through the heart of the South was the most iconic play in his career. And did anybody even touch him on that play? No, I mean, I mean. I guess most running backs are only as good as, as the guys blocking for them, and I think that conversation that you're steering toward is important if you're trying to define like who's Ohio State's best running back ever. Um, but in this decade, it's like it's Zeke, it's Dobbins, who I think by now has probably solidified himself as the second best, and then it's like Carlos Hyde, Mike Weber, and Boom Heron. And like I don't, I wouldn't pick any of those guys over Zeke. And Carlos Hyde had a really good career too, but nobody can. I don't think anybody touches. Zeke. Yeah, I mean Hyde's top ten all time in, in career rushing yards, or at least he, oh, he still he still is. Yeah, um, Zeke is number two, but J.K. can could theoretically pass him this year. Um, but Zeke's got two of the best three individual rushing seasons of all time in program history, and, and we know what he meant to the fourteen team. So that was an easy pick. Okay, so receiver, we picked two. Uh, yes, we picked two. We picked two receivers and an H back. Okay, so the two receivers we picked. And I agree completely. I don't have any second thoughts about this. Are Michael Thomas and Devin Smith? Yeah, I thought that was pretty straightforward too. Um, like Paris Campbell was really good at the end of his career. Um, you know, you had Dane Sanzenbacher, Devere Posey, KJ Hill played in this decade and is going to be the program's all-time pass catcher. Philly Brown, Terry McLaurin came in strong at the end of his career, but you know, Mike Mike Thomas and, and Devin Smith aren't near the top of the list in any of like career statistical categories. But, Which makes me want to bang my head against the wall. Right, that's not their fault. <laughs> um, you like for I, like I said, I started covering the team in 2014. They've not had better receivers than those two. You covered the team the four years prior to that. Were there anybody better than those two? No, I mean I think it's pretty cut and dry. Um, the two things are, and we've had this discussion about Michael Thomas before, but he played like a pro in college. He ran routes. He got open. He made spectacular catches. He just had that look about him. And Devin Smith was kind of injured, I believe, in his college career, if I'm not mistaken, and then has had injury stuff in the pros. Yeah. But let me ask you a bold-faced question, eye-to-eye. Give me some eye contact here, Dolby. Does Ohio State win the national championship in 2014 if Devin Smith is not on the team? No, I was just about to say that he was – he was, for every for as good as Cardale was and for everything Zeke did and as good as the offensive line was, line was I think Devin Smith was the most important offensive player for Ohio State in that run. Because of everything he opened up for the rest of the offense. They were showing the uh, Wisconsin, the 59 nothing Wisconsin win uh, on the Big Ten Network in the last month. Uh, 
of that year in the Big Ten championship game, and I think Devin Smith caught four touchdowns in that game. They were absurd. Yeah. The way they he could go him. up and get it. Has anybody been able to go up and get it like that since? Not since, no. I, I think uh, I think Olave or Garrett Wilson are trending in that direction, but certainly not between those two and guys. And the guy was like an Olympic high jumper, so like that yeah, definitely really helped. He was a good sprinter, too. Um, he, was only, he finished 14th in the program history in career receptions, but he was number five in career yards um, and number two in touchdown receptions. He had 30 touchdown receptions in his career, which is a lot at Ohio State. Because you have to remember, too, like Mike Thomas, we picked Dwayne Haskins a quarterback, and it's almost unfair because Dwayne Haskins played in like a totally different offensive era than even guys like Michael Thomas and Devin Smith, that they weren't throwing the ball nearly the same way even five years ago like they were last year and, and probably well moving forward into Ryan Day. So if Mike Thomas and Devin Smith were playing right now, I think they would have pretty absurd numbers and, and be on track to finish among the best receivers in program history. It's just that they were on teams that, that still round the ball quite a bit, so they're not up there in every statistical category. But again, got to go win a game tomorrow. I don't know how you pick anybody over those two. Michael Thomas caught that touchdown pass uh, on that trick play um, in the Alabama game semifinal in the 2014 playoff. But I wonder, was there a bigger waste of talent in the last decade? And that's not a slight on Michael Thomas at all. I'm just talking about uh, a player that had as much talent as him that didn't get the ball as much. Probably not. No, I mean, he had 113 catches in, I guess it was like three years, right? Or, yeah, about three, two and a half years is like a, a meaningful part of the offense. Uh, no. Yeah, very odd to redshirt in the middle of the year or middle of his career, I thought that that meant that he wasn't going to pan out. And then he came back after that redshirt year, and I was like, holy crap, he could start on half the NFL teams in the, in, in the country right now, and now he's the best receiver in the NFL. And I just wanted to say before we go on to H-back that I am very thankful that we have the Bill Landis Encyclopedia of Statistics in front of us. Yeah, I kept uh, – <laughs> I've started a thing this year where I'm like keeping notes from all the things I write, and it's uh, it's paying off at the moment. I have a lot of crap on my computer because of it, but – it's working right now that's crazy because when i write stories once it's over with i like delete the sound and move on from my life on them like i don't have any notes whatsoever from anything i don't really know why i do it and this is the first time it's like actually come in handy but no it's good i I think that you're very organized i try to be i like click and drag the the sound file when my tape recorder works onto my computer transcribe what i have to transcribe put the thing up on the internet and then unless i feel like there's anything that i would ever need again I just get rid of it. And sometimes I wonder in eight years if I'm going to need this quote or something. But it's just like I've been doing this for a while and I've never like thought, let me go back into my notes from 2012 to see if I can find a quote. Yeah. But I it will ha- and maybe it'll come in handy one day when you write your big book. When I write my big book. A New Day. Ryan Day and the Ohio State Buckeyes march toward greatness i just heard new york times bestseller if i've ever heard one yeah all right h back uh we picked curtis samuel and bill do you want to explain why uh i mostly included the because i think he could have put curtis samuel just as a receiver and left it at that too um but he kind of did both and i wanted to include the h back position sort of like as an homage to the decade that was defined by urban meyer because i think urban meyer in a lot of ways is, is defined by that position that's art even though uh the thing that I wrote when I wrote this back in July is like that idea never really came to fruition during Urban's time here. And it sort of did with Curtis Samuel, but in a weird way, like he was never really that much of a hybrid. I guess he was, he was a hybrid in 2016 In 2016. He was their best receiver and their best running back. 
So that's why he's a starting H back. But other than Curtis Samuel, that idea never really came to fruition with the guys that ever recruited. Like Dontre Wilson just never really panned out. I think Jalen Marshall at the time was thought that to, to be a guy like that. Paris Campbell, um, even KJ Hill, maybe when he got recruited, but but none of those guys were, were true hybrids in the way that Curtis Samuel was. Um he had a pretty crazy year in 2016. Um, he led the team with 74 catches for 865 yards and was third on the team in rushing with 97 carries for 771 yards and averaged almost eight yards a carry. Uh, he's a first-team All-American, so he's going to be in Buckeye Grove, or he is in Buckeye Grove at the moment. Um, he just deserved it. Like, if we're going to include this position, and I thought it was important to do that, like, there's no other person to put there other than Curtis Samuel. Did you just read that whole block? <laughs> I paraphrased it. Yeah, no, uh, I um – the one thing I'll say about Curtis Samuel is Ohio State made the playoff when he was the only real identifiable offensive weapon on a team, which is crazy because usually when that happens, it's a quarterback. Not that JT wasn't a, an instrumental part of that year with the way he ran the ball, but like without Curtis Samuel, that team could have lost three times. For sure. And he has an iconic moment, the overtime win against Michigan where he opens his arms and is probably in half of the man caves in Columbus. Yep. And generally was like just so versatile like when when it's like so funny too like you you, you put this h back on here as an homage is that the right way to say it homage yeah sorry i was confused by something yes i think is so. that the way the t-shirt company is pronounced no that's homage i think it's in pay homage pay homage to something i said i said it the way i said it i just want to know which one's correct i think they're both correct homage Homaji. I remember when Urban Meyer first got hired, Bill, and he started talking about the H-back stuff, and this was a few years before you joined the team and took over the team as captain. Everybody in the recruiting process that was a small H-back was Stefan Diggs. I mean, uh, sorry, was Percy Percy Harvin. And Stefan Diggs was the first H-back that Urban fell in love with. And it was like a huge deal to try to get this guy out of Maryland. And everything was, this is the next Percy Harvin. This is the next Percy Harvin. This, and maybe he might have been the best H-back Ohio State had in a decade if he would have come. We all know what he did at Maryland. We all know what he's doing in the NFL. But then ever since then, every single time Ohio State recruited a fast, speedy offensive weapon, it was Percy Harvin, Percy Harvin. It's like, as it turns out, Percy Harvin might have been one of the best college players of all time. It's a very yeah. hard thing to try to duplicate. And he was defined by that position, but I think partly because he ended up having a generational talent exemplify what that position is supposed to be at its first stop at Florida, you know, in, in a power five school. So of course that didn't work out the way it is because Percy Harvin doesn't grow on trees. I mean, the guy was tall, fast, strong, could catch the ball was, I mean, I remember watching Florida that year to you and it was just mm-hmm. like every single play, this guy was touching it in a different way. And that was like the ideal blueprint for what it's supposed to look like but you need to have a certain athlete to be able to pull that off. And I don't even know in college football since he played who you could even compare him to, let alone the 900 recruits Ohio State told could be the next Percy Arvin during the recruiting process, like on any team ever. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure if you thought about it, we'd come across somebody. But I, like, I think like you know, Curtis Samuel I thought was pretty good in that role in 2016, and it was the only time they ever had anybody who was good in that role. Tight end, Jeff Hireman, 2011 to 2014. Other guys on that list were Nick Vanette, Jake Stoneburner. Yeah, that was kind of it. Um, not a lot like to to go through in terms of stats. It was just like, I don't know, all three of them kind of ran together for me, if I'm being honest. I think I might have picked Hireman because I found him to be the most entertaining. Although Jake Stoneburners were pretty entertaining on Twitter lately. He was entertaining at um, at the podium when he was on the team. So I think Jeff Hireman 
the reason why he probably made this list too was that Urban really liked him. Yeah, he was a pretty important guy when they won yeah. the national title. And he was a very good blocker. And the debate of why doesn't Ohio State throw the football to the tight end more will be a debate when we both die in 100 years. It won't end until it happens. But in terms of what that position is supposed to mean and what it's supposed to do, I think that you know Je- Je- uh, Jeff Hireman did what he was supposed to do. And the way Urban Meyer talked about him, I think, was a pretty good influence into like how we thought about this one. Yeah, Nick Finette actually had the most receptions of any tight end in the decade. He had 55, um, but Hireman had 52, Stoneburner had 53, so it was all very close. I'm, you know, the one argument you can make for Vanette, I guess, is that he scored a touchdown in the national championship game. Mm-hmm. And that's, you yeah. know, one play is all it takes to kind of put you over the top. Both guys are in the league, but, you know, I think Hireman overall from start to finish was the pick, and he always used to joke about how he had the most fun in college, so... He maximized the college experience, as he it's, said it's one time to, quote. to Doug Maurice, <laughs> the greatest give and take in the history of the Ohio State beat. Uh, <laughs> no, there was one other one. Better than, uh, Jeff, would you say you maximized the college experience? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. There was one other one. Can you remember it? I don't know if it was the year Is before you got Zeke Elliott to scold the coaching staff for not giving him the ball enough against Michigan State in 2015. Did you just out me as the reason, <laughs> reason that happened? He's the guy. Get him. Nope. One, it, it was uh, Tom Herman, remember? Oh, God. Don't talk about that. <laughs> I, do well, I mean, he quoted the guy in a newspaper, so we can talk about it. Was Doug involved with that, too? Yeah, it was Doug. Doug, was, Doug was, was wasn't Doug also involved with JT's weenie arm wrap? Yes. <laughs> Doug's uh, involved in the iconic, hilarious ones, and I'm involved in the meltdowns that caused the coaching staff to come to a halt. You cost this team a national championship. Well, they had already lost by then, but... Oh. Um, yeah, he, he said... It was like Tom Herman's baby was born. And he goes, is it just a great coincidence? Uh, were you guys aiming for you know having a, a baby at this time? And Tom Herman said, I wasn't aiming for anything, which I thought was maybe the best quote of the last decade. If we had an all-quote team, <laughs> Tom Herman wasn't aiming. Okay, go Horns. Uh, offensive line, this is your realm. This is Landis yeah. is the resident offensive line expert, and this one was pretty tough. I think this might have been the toughest snag we hit when we were doing it. Well, three of them were easy. Taylor Decker, Billy Price, and Pat Elfline were all first-team All-Americans. I mean, Billy Price and Pat Elfline both won the Remington Trophy. Um, so Decker is one of the tackles. Price is a guard I put, and Elfline's a center. You can flip-flop them if you want to. It was the other two spots that I, that I thought there was some interesting conversation to have. We, we settled on Andrew Norwell and Jack Mehort, um, and those are two guys that I didn't cover. Um, so I had to, I had to, you know, ask around about where exactly to go with this. Um, Norwell ended up being a first or two time first team All Big Ten selection, um, and I just like Mehort was not really based off anything other than like Urban like continued to talk about him even when when I was covering team after Mehort left, and I thought that was important. Urban talks about a lot of guys as his favorites. Sometimes I think you can le- read in, read into that a little more than than you can at other times, but but I bought it with Mehort, so I put him on there. Other guys that were in consideration like Mike Brewster. Um, Jacoby Bourne, who was the starting center on a national championship team. Uh, Mike Adams, who played at the very beginning of the decade and obviously was a good player. Um, but that's where I settled on those five guys. I mean, it's crazy when you say these names, man. It's just like a different lifetime ago. When you start like really thinking about like the end of the Trestle era and some yeah. of the names that came with it. Because before recruiting rankings were cool to like obsess over, like that was like the Brew Crew, Brew Crew class. That was like incredible. You know, and I was like the first major, like, huge yeah. class with Terrell Pryor and Mike Brewster and Stoneburner and all those guys. Mike Adams, the five star offensive lineman. And 
you know, it, it's kind of hard uh, when you're making a list like this to fight recency bias because what you remember the most is what's freshest in your mind. Mm-hmm. And I think we did a good job of making sure that some of those good offensive linemen like Muhort were were represented on this list. And as you said, Urban Meyer was uh, – Urban Meyer has his guys that he clings to and has always through his career here at Ohio State would always recall them. And the Toledo strong Jack Muhort was definitely <laughs> one of them. So – that is all for offense. We're going to skip over to special teams now. Just do the special teams ones real quick. Yeah, let's run through them quickly. Um, kicker, Devin Barkley. Um, that was other. It was kind of a hard one too because it was like it's like do you pick out like the most efficient or guys with the best stats like the guys that like had the biggest moments in kicking? Like I didn't really know what to pick, so I picked Barkley. Barkley kicked a field goal to send Ohio State to the Rose Bowl yeah. way back when, and that was like uh, the most defining moment of a kicker that I could come up with in the last decade. Has Ohio State won on a huge kick? No, I don't I'm surprised so. it's never been in a situation where they needed one, but I don't know if there's ever been like, a kick, a walk-off. I one-on-one. Like, Nuremberger, I think Nuremberger might have kicked two in the Sugar Bowl against Alabama, um, and he was number five all-time in points, but he was also around forever, and there were times in his career where he got surpassed as a starting kicker. Part of it was injury, and part of it wasn't. Um Barclay, like, statistically matched up to everybody, and he had that kick, too, so that's what gave him the edge for me. But I also think he could have picked Drew Basil, too. He was he was also a yeah. consideration. Punter, Cameron Johnston. Not even close. He's the best player of the decade. Sorry. Did anybody play their position better than Cameron Johnston played punter? Uh, I mean, like Joey Bosa, probably, at defensive end. But that you might run through honestly the, might be it. You want to run through these stats real quick and give him his homage? <laughs> his his homage uh, let's see. He was a big... I'm just going to read this verbatim from what I wrote. He was a uh, Big Ten punter of the year in 2016. He's number three in program history and career punting yards, number two in career average, number one on punts inside the 20. And he's a bird. And he now plays for the Eagles, so he lives in America's greatest city at least part of the year. <laughs> kick returner, Jordan Hall, 2009 to 2013. The only person in the decade to return a kick for a touchdown. It was easy. Punt <laughs> returner. 2010, and it hasn't happened since. <laughs> punt returner, Jalen Marshall. And he... Returned a punt for a touchdown or two, didn't he? Or he returned two, yeah, I think so. Or maybe he had one. He had at least one. He had one against Indiana. Indiana is the sure. one that I remember. I don't know if he had another one, but um, yeah, he's like number five in career punt return yards. Like they've not had. Again, we we'll talk about it again. Like for his, all the dynamic athletes Ohio State has had come through the doors, there has not been like an otherworldly kick returner slash punt returner. So I don't know. Maybe maybe Jordan Hall and Jalen Marshall don't move the needle all that much. But I honestly didn't know how to pick otherwise. For all the talk that Ohio State has about playing their best players on special teams, I sometimes wonder if they've played their best players at the returner position. No, they play their best players on special teams at every position other than the one that gets to catch the ball. And as I remembered, Jalen Marshall was always an adventure. He was always an adventure, that's for sure. Okay, defense, guys. All right, let's do this. Defensive line? There's an interesting discussion to have here now. Is there? Yeah, because yeah. this list no, was this list was made before the season started. Uh, so it's Joey oh Bosa, God. Jonathan put a little Hankins. cayenne pepper on yeah. this. Joey Bosa, Jonathan Hankins, Cam Hayward, and Nick Bosa were who we had on the list in July. If we were making this list again this week, Chase Young would have to be on it. Who do you replace? Who do you take off the list to put Chase Young on there? Well, did you do two tackles and two ends? So, like, he did two tackles and two ends. Yeah, so but I don't like, think you have to. I did, but I don't think you have to. I 
would take either of the defensive tackles yeah. off this list. Yeah. But if you had to do if let's say we want to do two tackles and two ends, then you take Nick off the list, right? And put Chase on there. What I think you would do is you slide Nick over to defensive tackle because didn't he play defensive tackle for some? Yeah, he, play, he, he played in ties. He rushed from the inside, inside the during his career. We're going all Rushman package. You're going to make me pick a Bosa brother? Yeah, cut the baby in half. I think Joey I think Joey Bosa was better than Nick. But we also had a higher, bigger sample size. Yeah. And do we have to penalize Nick for ending his career early? In, uh, Probably. Backstabbing Ohio State Buckeye Nation? <laughs> I'm just joking, but people yeah. who flipped out about that were clearly the wrongest of wrong. But he did leave early, and I don't know if that has to – if that – I think it probably impacts and it impacts like his Ohio State legacy or whatever. But again, if the directive was pick the best players, Nick Bosa is definitely on the list. But now it's like Chase Young is going to break Vernon Golson's sack record probably on Saturday. But if he gets one against Penn State, he is the best player in college football. I don't know. If, is there anybody else on this list who at the time they were playing was the best player in college football? I think you could make a case for both Bosa brothers. Yeah, I don't know. Again, it's hard with Nick because he didn't play for most of his junior year. Maybe Joey. Joey's a sophomore was pretty unbelievable. All three of them were in consideration to be the number one overall pick in Mm -hmm. the NFL draft. And none of them, I mean, Chase might, but quarterback is always at a premium in that. It's going to be funny that Chase is not going to be number one because Joe Burrow is going to be. What a world. This this whole thing is one reality show. I I don't even know how to. Um, I would take one of the, if you're allowed to take one of the tackles off the list, um, I would take one of the tackles off and insert Chase Young. I think Chase Young names belongs on this list. And if I had to pick between a Bosa brother, I think I would remove Nick. Yeah, I think I agree with that. Um, so but this God, is like, Nick was good. I don't. I, I, it was awesome. Yeah, yeah. it was really good. Um, Did not include John Simon on that list, and I think Urban Meyer probably would have a bone the pick with that. But and John Simon was again, maybe he's a victim of recency bias. I don't know, but he was He's also a victim of the fact that like they had a really good defensive lineman here. I think if you look at the 10-year run of Ohio State defensive ends, I can't imagine another team has had one. Sure. You've had a if you had a Bosa brother for 7 years or 6 years and then you add Chase Young at the tail end of that, that's a decade with the number 1 overall pick as a defensive end on your roster. Yeah. Um, at one point or another. Some other names that I just like wrote down just so I had some names to choose from like the tackles was like uh, Jonathan Hankins, uh, Michael Bennett, Adolphus Washington, Draymond Jones. Hankins made the list. Garrett Goebel was on there. Uh, Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa, Cam Hayward, John Simon, Tyquan Lewis. Like a lot of these guys, if we were doing it any other program, I think would be on the list that we ended up with. But there's a lot of depth there to choose. Can from. I tell you a funny story about Jonathan Hankins? Yeah. So when I first was coming up in the world of Ohio State football. I, I went to college in Arizona, as everybody probably knows, and I was making recruiting calls for rivals from college as like an intern. And I would make recruiting calls. This is before I even knew what recruiting was. <laughs> and I called Jonathan Hankins, and this was before Twitter, so there was no Twitter breaking news anymore. You know, like now when recruiting, if a kid commits, yeah. he just posts it on Twitter. There's, it's no longer premium information, but it used to be in 2009. And I called Jonathan Hankins all the time because he was like a really good player in high school out of Michigan. And I remember asking him, so what do you like the most about Ohio State as opposed to your other choices? And you know what he said? What? I like their shiny helmets. Nice. Silver bullets. So, so I don't know if Jonathan Hankins became one of the most productive defensive linemen in Ohio State history because he likes their shiny helmets. But I always remembered thinking, like, that's the thing. <laughs> And maybe it wasn't, but it was just what he said in the moment, and I always was very taken back by that, and I remember that to this day. Fun little anecdote about 
Big Hank. Big Hank. But I also remember in the game where Ohio State played at Miami, Hankins was playing defensive tackle, and they ran some sort of sweep or a pitch or something, and the ball went outside, and Hankins ran, like disengaged off his blocker and ran 30 yards across the field and made a tackle for a loss hmm. and then got up and like popped up like you know like sometimes these defensive backs like pop up onto their legs yeah he like popped up like that as like a 330 <laughs> pound man like literally and i just said holy shit and i remember just seeing that going that he just got drafted yeah because it was just like people that big aren't supposed to move like that like he was really good. i can move like that yeah yeah not really you move in silence like geez real geez move in silence like lasagna more on Buckeye basketball at theathletic.com slash Ohio State Hoops. No one else had a story about Chris Holt when quoting Lil Wayne. Let me tell you that. Linebackers, Ryan Shazier, Raekwon McMillan, and Darren Lee. Talk to me about Shazier because I didn't cover him. Shazier was – so, like, when I was a kid, I always used to, like, think, like, in my head, like, linebacker was, like, this imposing, fast guy who would just blow you up the second he got it. Like, you know, flow with the ball, break a, break a blocker off, and then attack. Ryan Shazier, in my opinion, was by far the best linebacker of the decade. Yep. The second he got onto the field, that man, though made a lot of mistakes early in his career, if I remember, would be in the wrong gaps and big plays would occur because he he was the player that exemplified to me the idea of play with reckless abandon, apologize for mistakes after. Like that's what the whole defense now is supposed to be, right? Right. Ryan Shazier did that. They put him on the field early in his career. He made his mistakes, but man, that kid flew to the football. And to me, if you, all the linebackers, and I'm sure you'll, you know, list off some stats and some of the other guys like, uh, like Joshua Perry, for instance, who was probably on that list. He was, yeah. Um, and of guys that you were sifting through, Ryan Shazier was the James Laurinaitis, the Andy Katz and Moyer of this decade. Yeah, like he was a no-brainer. Um, even I, like observing from afar, knew how good Ryan Shazier was. That was an easy one. He's the last player in the program. They have 300 tackles. I think only 15 or so have done that um, in the history of the program, and he did it in three years, which is pretty crazy. Um, I did I did consider Joshua Perry. Uh, I don't think he – he was a very solid player for them for – he was a starter for two years, once on a national championship team. What are you doing there? Oh, I'm just I'm like pumped up to say the next thing I want to say. Oh, cool. He was dancing. Um Brian Roll had 200 career tackles. Um, he was really good, too. Ross Homan had almost 300 career tackles. He was in consideration. And it's like Jerome Baker was a really good athlete here. I don't think ever, I don't think ever quite came what we maybe thought he would be, but he was still a productive player and got drafted in the third round, I believe. Um, Zach Bourne was on there like as like a, I don't know, sentimental nod, I guess. He clearly wasn't one of the best linebackers, but what he did for that team in 2012 was really important. He would be the all-fullback if there was one. If there wasn't fullback, yeah. We want the H-back instead because we were on the spread. Um, Etienne Sabino was also considered, um, but but I thought like McMillan to me in my time covering the team. For as much as we talk about freshmen and like wanting to see them make an impact and like flash immediately, he has to be at the top of the list or near the top of the list of guys who actually did that. I don't think there are, there are many of them to do because it it's not an easy thing to do, even if you are a five star prospect. But like the fact that they went down there and got him from Georgia was a big deal when they got him. He was a late add to that class from that from that. Uh, mistaken, and then he showed up auto- and automatically was like a co-starter for a team that won the. And by late ad, you mean like huge recruiting monster splash? Yeah, that's a, there's a difference. I just wanted to clarify. No, so people, was that, yeah. he, well, he wasn't the f- he was was he the first urban late late in the game 
Splash? I don't think he was the no, first one. Was Noah it? Spence was, I think. Oh, yeah. He was one Noah of them. Spence. Yeah, at the yeah. tail end of the 2000s. And Adolphus Washington, who told everyone that Urban Meyer was coming before That's the rest another of the world. That was me. <laughs> I went to Adolphus Washington's high school for his recruiting announcement ceremony. And I was like the only one there, I think, for some reason, which is crazy when you think about it, because he was a five star from the Cincinnati. And I was interviewing him. I said, so, Adolphus, why did you decide to go to Ohio State? And he goes, well, Urban Meyer is going to be the head coach. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we all kind of anticipated it was coming down the road, but like he basically broke the story. How did you remember that? I just every time I hear his name, I remember that story. Yeah. Yeah, that was me. That was my first Doug LaMaurice retweet on Twitter. Oh, wow. How'd it feel? It was like I was driving home. I was so happy. I was like, oh, my God, a big-time reporter from Cleveland.com. <laughs> Cleveland Plain Dealer retweeted me. I could make it in this business. I really remember the drive home and where I was when I thought about that, and I picked up like 50 followers on Twitter. I was like, holy, put this in my veins. <laughs> and then I realized that that man would be the one who molded me into a young, angry person. So thanks, Doug. <laughs> um, but seriously, that was a huge deal, and I don't think Adolphus Washington ever really turned into what we thought he was the day he signed either. Like, he was a great – yeah. I thought he was a Bosa. He was supposed to be the original Bosa. Yeah, he ended up kicking inside as a defensive tackle. Um, was a good player at Ohio State, and I think it was a fourth-round draft pick maybe. Yeah. But, yeah, does, didn't quite rise to the level you might expect for a five-star. Next up was probably the hardest one, right? Well, let's, uh, just real quick, Darren Lee was also on that list. Um, yeah. Sugar Bowl MVP and maybe like other than Bosa, maybe like the defining defensive player of that national championship team because he had the personality to go with it um and he was him he set the road for the luke fickle recruit an athlete that doesn't play linebacker much in high school plays linebacker type like jerome baker was a running back too and you know the one thing i wanted to say when i was dancing now that you reminded me is i feel like joshua perry was the defense of jt barrett is that fair i think it's a good comparison yeah heart and soul the team everybody loved him great kid Productive. Productive. Yeah. Important part of. Not the flashiest guy ever. Yeah. yeah. Important part of a lot of wins. Um, And he's just kind of like making it in the media now on Big Ten Network. He's pretty good on Big Ten Network. Yeah. Yeah. Always been sharply dressed. I remember how sharply dressed he used to be when he was in high school. I always enjoy talking to Josh. Yeah. Secondary. uh, There were a lot of draft picks in this era, but we went with Marshawn Lattimore at corner, uh, Denzel Ward opposite him at the other corner, Malik Hooker. At safety and Von Bell at safety. Yeah, so this is like clearly the best example of just pick the best players and not the most productive because there are two guys on the All-Decade team who only started for one year, Lattimore and uh, Malik Hooker. But if you want to argue against either of those guys, uh, go, ju- go jump on a lake somewhere because I think those two are the most talented defensive backs this program has had in the last decade for sure and among the most talented defensive backs they've ever had. I've never seen anybody play the game of football the way Malik Hooker did. At that position. Yeah. Would you say he's the best one? If you had to pick one, who would you pick? Malik Hooker, for sure. Okay, same. Yeah. Wow, we agree. That's weird. Who else was in consideration, Bill? Because there's other draft picks like Gary on Conley. Who else? Yeah, corner was Gary on Conley, Bradley Roby, Eli Apple, uh, Chindi Chekwa, I think, deserved to be in the consideration, too. He was a first-team All-American in in 2010. Um, Roby, like, amassed better stats than most of these guys, but I just think that I would even put – I think I'd probably have him fourth. I would have Lattimore first, Ward second, and probably Conley third and, and Roby fourth, and then Apple and, and Chekwa at the bottom of that list. Um, the other guys at safety were uh, Tyvis Powell, 
who, again, was a starter on the national championship team, had a couple of key interceptions in his career. Uh, C.J. Barnett, Christian Bryant. Uh, I put Jordan Fuller down there. His career's not over yet, but he's been a pretty productive guy, and Damon Webb also, but I think that was pretty yeah. clear. Hooker was definitely clear. Um, Bell was a, was a talent pick. I think you could make an argument for Tyvis Powell because of some of the big plays he made in his career, but, but I think Bell was a little bit better. It is a crazy wealth of talent when you're leaving a top 10 player who got drafted in the top 10 off the list. I wonder how many other schools would leave a top 10 draft pick off their all-decade team. You talking about Eli Apple? Yeah. I mean... He got drafted way too high. To be fair, he got drafted way too high. Yeah, but still. But he got picked where he got picked. No, it's a good point. And it was, he was a good player here. Yeah. But I don't know. Like, I don't... He was a slow starter, too, and then really... He was. Of, he was a slow starter. Because he was the one that got... I always forget. It was some sort of blood illness Michi- or something? No, no, well, that... Like, that derailed his career a little bit at the beginning, and then he got back on track. But against Michi- Michigan State in 2014, Apple couldn't play, or Apple was hurt. So they put Conley in, and then Conley got like roasted, and they had to put Absolutely Apple, they put Apple in back game. into the game, and Apple yeah. had the player hurt in that game, and he was good. And then Gary on Conley like became awesome and was also a first round pick. And then it became the universal angle of everybody who ever wrote about Gary and Conley for the next three years. Yeah, you guys might have read about that before. I think "baptized by fire" was used a lot. Um, he was yeah, baptized that, by fire. That was that was a good point. But I think looking back on their careers, that I, I think Conley was a better player than you know. Apple. Eli Apple took more than a year to get his black stripe off. Really? Like more than an entire calendar year. Interesting. Like I don't think he got his black stripe off till he was a redshirt freshman. That's a pretty good turnaround for him then. That's yeah, slow. that's what I was just yeah. crazy to think. Like they didn't even let the guy be a part of the team. Like is the <laughs> symbolic like it becomes a number ten overall pick in the draft. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is a good turnaround. So that's why they get into coaching. So Bill, is there anything else that we want to talk about all decade? Because like we want to probably preview the fact that we're going to have another all decade post. Yeah, like best games, um, Best moments. Let me think. I'll pull it up here. You uh, give me a favor and not vamp. <laughs> These eyes. <laughs> These eyes are never going to see another love like you. What are you looking for? I just want to be. So we're, we'll have a post a st- post story, whatever you want to call it, this week that sort of goes with this podcast. It will include the team of the decade, but we'll also get into a little bit like memorable moments from the decade. Um, top games as well. And just a way to like look back at really what was the Urban Meyer era. It's not that wasn't the, the jumping off point because we're doing this company wide, but that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about Urban Meyer's era of high State football. I don't know exactly when this podcast is going live, so I'm just going to give the regular spiel. Catch us every Monday and Thursday. Monday, 4 to 6 A and B is free on all podcast platforms, Stitcher, Apple, Spotify, whatever. And then on Thursday every week, we have a subscriber-only podcast that can be streamed only within the Athletic app. If you're listening to this um, and are not subscribed to the Athletic, please consider joining us. We work really hard. Is that a weird thing to say? My pet peeve uh, is journalists who feel the need to tell people how hard they work. It's probably, the but you're not pet. aiming that on me. Come it's on, because it sounds like some somebody would might think like you're talking. No, no, shit no. About that's, me. that's the first time I've heard you do that. Um, but there are others who do it routinely, and it bothers me. Like everyone, every five minutes, everyone works hard. We most, work hard to bring you unique hard. and interesting stories. It's an effort, and I think there are things that Bill and I do uh, collectively that you cannot find anywhere else. So we would appreciate it if you considered subscribing, and then if nothing else, you get the podcast every Thursday and every other amazing writer that the athletic has on all other beats uh in all other sports uh go to www.theathletic.com slash four dash six i had a 
space out there. Athletic.com slash 4-6 and you get 40% off your subscription. Um, As always, we appreciate you being here with us and joining us along and we'll catch you at the next episode. Thanks so much. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.